What up, though? Welcome to the Fat Boy MMA podcast, where we talk about everything combat sports, but mainly MMA. If you want to hear a couple regular MMA fans talk about MMA history, notable fighters, up and coming fighters, and everything in between, then this is the podcast for you. Now, I should warn you, we're not professionals, but we are big fans of combat sports. If that sits well with you, sit back, grab a beverage, relax, and let's go. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Fat Boy MMA podcast. I am your host, DC. And of course, I got my co host here with me, Locke. Hey, what's up, y'all? Okay, so on today's episode, this is another Gloves and Roses episode. And uh, recently, we kind of, uh, you know, did what is, you know, starting to be possibly a theme for us where we can kind of match up two people whose uh, paths crossed in a significant way in MMA and kind of give you those episodes back to back. I think it's a good way for one people that's been, you know, watching MMA for a while to reminisce and go back and watch some of the fights that we talk about a highlight. And then two, for some of the newer MMA fans to, understand as some of these fighters cross paths how significant it was and and the last one we released it was Robbie Lawler and uh the Red King and Roy McDonald. Um, yeah Roy McDonald and right after well maybe a, a week or so after we recorded it they actually got that fight got inducted got them into the UFC Hall of Fame so, you know, it sounds like we're on the right track for this thing, and I think it was perfect timing for us. So, that said... And I spent... We tried to go to Buffalo Wild Wings. We had some mm-hmm. setbacks. At some point, me and my wife end up at Hooters for the first time in uh, close to about a decade. Actually, I mm-hmm. think the last time was uh, Nick Diaz versus Anderson Silva. We only end up at Hooters if we're trying to watch the fights, and there's no other option. <laughs> and... uh I explained the Rory McDonald, mm-hmm. uh, Robbie Lawler fight, and us just recording it and it going in the Hall of Fame mm-hmm. until her eyes almost literally rolled out of her head. And she <laughs> and my wife, you know my wife, she's a pretty patient woman when it comes to mm-hmm. listening to my bullshit. <laughs> and, she's like, enough is enough. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, I was at uh, Buffalo Wild Wings myself. It's one that I go to that usually always has the fights. They haven't let me down yet, so I just take the trip, no matter where where I'm living at the time, down to that one because so many of the other ones, they'd have the fight for a while, and then I think they're going to have the fight, and I go up there, and they don't have it. Uh, so, But that said, we're only going to introduce the first person, but as we go through this one, you'll probably be able to guess what our next one is going to be. But the first one is no other than uh, Ben Smooth Henderson, a.k.a. Bendo. So before I go into the usual, 
wars, accolades, notable fights, things of that sort. Anything you want to throw in there, Locke? Uh, no. Um, it's another good dynamic duo of recordings that we'll be doing and uh, excited to talk about Bendo, which I'm going to give a little pre-spoiler on this one. Mm-hmm. We've had a lot of these lately where it's people that I'm maybe not crazy about. And then I do some research and it kind of ramps up like, I don't know, I get either a new level of respect for them or get excited and kind of makes me wonder like, huh, maybe, why wasn't I a fan? Maybe I just need a little separation, to be honest. And and Bendo, I know you listen, so this is really going to disappoint him. But, of course uh, he does. Of course. <laughs> but uh, this is definitely one where I watched it and there's a little, little less of that. I, it kind of worked a little bit the opposite. I was like, yeah. It's a a lot of split decisions, Holmes. Okay, so let's go ahead and run it down. So first, the record. uh, And Bindo actually just retired. His last fight was, I don't know, about a month ago, I think it was. And he decided to lay down the gloves for that fight. It was... It was Usman. Where we Usman Normakamed. Yeah, yep. It was uh actually it was uh yeah, last month back in March. He laid the gloves down. We're recording this in April. But he laid the gloves down after uh losing the fight in Bellator. And I think he understood especially where he was at age in his career. Uh uh he was coming off of two wins and you know, you don't get too many more times to make a title run. And, you know, you take a loss to young, hungry guy at that stage, it's probably time to hang him up. Uh, but his record is 30 and 12. He has wins over quite a few notable fighters. Donald Cerrone, Jamie Varner, Clay Guida, Frankie Edgar, Nate Diaz, Gilbert Melendez, Josh Thompson, uh, Jorge Masvidal, uh, Patricio Fit- Pitbull, Syeda Wad, Miles Jury, and Islam Mamedov. So those are some of the notable wins that he's had. Other fights that he's had of, of you know, notable high-caliber fighters. Uh, you got Anthony Pettis. You got Rafael Dos Anjos. You got Mike Chandler. You got Andre Koriskov. Actually, I'm going to say this, and I'll just find it and cut it out. You literally have a guy out there doing burnouts right now. That's what... what I had to meet for it. I actually kind of imagined that in my mind. Anywho. (laughs) And uh, Usman Nurmega Madoff. So uh, those are kind of notable fights. A lot of uh, big names out, you know, in that 155 range. And he fought both at 155 and 170. Um, As far as titles, he had the UFC lightweight title. Uh, he is tied for most title defenses at three. Uh, it's three people tied there. It's him, I believe him, Frankie, and and uh, Khabib. Khabib. Uh, he unified the lightweight strike force in UFC t- uh, titles when he fought Gilbert Melendez. He has three fight of the night bonuses, one performance of the night bonus. He actually, he also held the... Uh, a WEC lightweight title, uh, and he had the interim title for that. So he's only credited with uh, with one title defense. But, you know, you could kind of – for me, in my opinion, if you get the interim and then you go on and f- beat the champ and become the champ, that counts 
in my book. I know a lot of people don't count it, but to me, it, it counts. Should. Yeah, if you're holding should. the interim, then that should be a defense. Yes. So, uh, and then what the also, fuck are we even doing with this stupid interim? Exactly. What's the it doesn't point count of it? as a defense. <laughs> it doesn't count. You're going to cram this interim bullshit <laughs> down my fucking throat. Let's count it, man. <laughs> right. Uh, which, by the way, the UFC has gotten better at that lately. They were really bad at one point in time. But they've gotten better lately. We haven't seen as many interim titles. Yeah, for a while there, they were like fucking Oprah, man. Just fucking throwing <laughs> yeah, you out get interim belts. You get her interim title. <laughs> but he's also had, uh, he also had two fight of the night bonuses over there and a submission of the night bonus. Other awards, ESPN 2012 Fighter of the Year, 2012 Fight of the Year, 2015 uh, Best Fight Half best, best of the Year. Uh, MMA fighting, he had 2010 fight of the year, 2009 fight of the year, and then Sure Dog, he got 2012 fighter of the year and 2009 fight of the year. Major promotions, uh, he fought in WEC, UFC, and Bellator. Bellator was the only one that he wasn't able to obtain that lightweight title. So after running that down, Thoughts there, Mr. Locke. So I don't know if you did. I might have missed them because there was a lot of names. But did you hit Roger Huerta and Jim Miller? I do have Jim Miller on there. I did not hit Roger Huerta. Uh, or I thought I had Jim Miller on there. You know, I might have missed Jim Miller too. But I, I know for a fact I took Roger Huerta off. And it was one of those things we talked about before where it's like, do I put him there? Do I not? Jim Miller was just an accidental miss, but it's like, you try and leave there, somebody for me to catch. Like you leave a little breadcrumbs. <laughs> or I could just be like, eh, I don't know. But see, that's what's good though. Right. If it's somebody I I'm debating on and I leave them off and you bring them up, you know, Hey, I like it. Yeah. Six on one, half a dozen on the other. Right. Right. <laughs> where they got his run because that's exactly. as close. That's as Closest he's going to come to a gloves and roses. Yeah, he probably won't get one. Well, you know, something may happen significant. You know, he'll come back to grappling or something and win something. Like, hey, let's talk about that guy. Did you know? You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it don't matter know. who you are. Fucking, you come back and win a grappling tournament. DC will be right back on board. I mean, why not? That's like, you know, that's like coming back winning the heavyweight championship of the world. You win a grappling title, you know, it can even be like the the Detroit Southwest Community Center grappling title. That's enough to get <laughs> that's enough to get a close and roses. <laughs> they, they they had to buy their uh belt off the internet and shit. Exactly. Exactly. But uh, any thoughts before I get into the typical questions? Uh no, let's get into it. Okay, cool. So the first one of course being when did Bendo first become on your radar? Well, as I have covered before, you know, I I get the uh the wrestling official wrestling elite newsletter you know so anytime a new wrestler hits the mma circuit i always get a heads up you know he was an naia all-american so you know technically 
all the wrestlers are always on my radar. But, you know, obviously, I would say the first one, uh, like yourself, I was a big WEC fan. And, uh, you know, at that time, any free fight was so awesome, like even a novel concept. And, right. uh, you know, I would say the first Cer- the Cerrone fight, uh, that was probably... I don't know if you'd say prime or whatever Cowboys first legit, you know, title run. And, uh, he was the, the popular guy with the, you know, the, the better package and the, the charisma and all that. And, uh, when he took that belt, I think that was the first time I was like, damn, this guy's, uh, this guy's legit. Yeah. By the way, I hated WEC Donald Cerrone. I hate it. Every time he lost, it was a it was a great moment for me. I didn't start liking him until like seeing him as a kind of gladiator that would fight anybody in the UFC is what won me over with Donald Cerrone, but I hated him in the WEC. But yeah, to your point, now I did not follow wrestling. I still don't follow wrestling, <laughs> but he, he became on my radar in a WEC. Uh, I literally saw his first WEC match, and uh, I used to watch. I was a big fan of WEC, and I used to watch it a lot. And I quickly became a fan of his because of his fighting style. And I remember telling people back in the day that he was going to be, I was like, wait, when they get, you know, moved over to the UFC, just wait. Like, he's going to be the UFC champ. And, and you know, there's been a lot of times where I thought, you know, guys were really going to be something, and they didn't. But every now and then, I can call one. <laughs> and this was one I, I, you know, I saw, and I was like, he has what it takes to be champ. But uh, th- those Donald Cerrone fights were, you know, were big fights, and you know, uh, over in the WEC, that was definitely, although, you know, he didn't have the title for long, uh, that was definitely some of the most prime bendo. That said, and this isn't a question I would normally ask, but based on what you said in the opening, I love to understand and normally we don't do this for gloves and roses, but you know me. What was it? Was it one fight in particular that made you drop down a notch on uh, Henderson? Or was it just kind of what you said, looking at kind of the split decisions and whatnot? Well, I would say what a lot of it is, for one, I'm just a lot less patient. Like, Like I said, at one point in my life, I was so excited to get any free fight ever. Now I can basically watch any fight anytime, you know, I want to. And uh, when I do the research, especially if I want trying to watch a bunch of fights, these five round decisions and shit, man, they're they're hard to watch. And, uh, and I don't think I disagree. Like a lot of his split decisions. I think he was, it was the right call. I think he was really the winner, but I think when I look back on it, I remembered a dominance level that rewatching some of the fights 
I don't know how much of that was just a fan bias when I was watching it because kind of rewatching it, you know, in hindsight is like, well, I mean, yeah, he's pretty good, but I don't know what what he was diff- doing was that much different than, uh, you know, late stage boring GSP, you know, just smart fighting, dragging him out just to try and win, you know, on points or whatever. Yeah, I think, I think one of his big issues were, was, well, there was two issues with Henderson, in my opinion. One, he didn't continue to evolve, in my opinion. And the problem with that is, it's not whether you're good or not. That's irrelevant. All these guys are good. Mm-hmm. It's how easy an opponent can game plan for you. So the more you do the same exact things, the easier it is for me to put me and my team to put a game plan together to beat you, right? We we literally just saw that at the the fight that we were talking about, the Izzy versus Pereira fight, right? Izzy knew exactly what Pereira was going to do because Pereira showed it time and time again. And he knew that if he got up against that cage and ball in, what Pereira was going to do, and he wait to feel for that left hand that then drops so he can come over it with the right. Why did he know that? Because he fought Pereira three times Whoa, before. Many times. You know, and, and what's funny about that is he was winning every one of those fights. The first one, I think he won. The other two, he got knocked out. I know he claims the third one isn't a knockout. I don't care what anybody says. He got saved by that ref. He was going to be flatlined if that ref didn't stop in, jump in, right? But Pereira's going to come in and do exactly what Pereira does. He's not going to, he's, there's no new flash trick or anything like that. It was the same exact game plan. I think he thinks that that power is going to overcome it. So when I look at Bendo, his style was more, you know, tap you, tap you, wrestle, get you down. If I get hurt, I'm immediately going for a leg. Like this whole route, the way that he did things, just allowed for a game planning. And I think eventually, as you get into that upper tier where guys are not just better, they have better teams, it becomes easier to game plan for you and you don't look as spectacular. Um and you end up with a lot of decisions, especially if you're not a really big submission artist or a knockout artist. I mean, you figure from the point at which he fought Donald Cerrone, he pretty much fought, you know, top tier opponents at, at every level, especially once you get that title. Even afterwards, you're fighting the next guy trying to get to that title that's trying to make a name off of you as a former champion. Yeah, you know, 100 percent. Okay, so what fight would you have loved to see him fight that never happened? Well, I don't know that there's a ton of those because uh, he fought so many of the people, you know, around that time frame. Uh, but I think possibly uh, maybe a Ben Henderson, Gray Maynard fight. Might have been uh, interesting. I think that's a guy that was, you know, around that top five level uh, for most of Henderson's reign. I mean, you see uh, Frankie had a couple wars with Gray Maynard. 
and uh, Henderson, he beat him a couple times. He beat Frankie a couple times. So I think uh, maybe him, Gray Maynard, might be a, a decent fight that never happened. That would make sense. Yeah. I have Gray Maynard on my list, but not for that. <laughs> uh, but believe it or not, I would have loved to see one of those, you know, times BJ decides to make a comeback or whatever, instead of fighting young, hungry lions, I would have loved to see him and BJ fight. And one of the reasons why I would have loved to see him and BJ fight, when he was in a WEC and I think right before he won the title, right after he won the title, BJ brought him into his camp to train for, I forget exactly who it was, but he brought Sean Shirt. Ben. It might have been, yeah. And, you know, Ben Henderson said that, uh, you know, BJ beat all the guys up pretty good, right? <laughs> so, uh, but, you know, at that point in time, uh, Bendo was still evolving, right? So I would have loved to have seen that fight play off and play out, especially with both guys being just so flexible and whatnot and what they can do. I would have loved to see how some of those grappling exchanges would have played out. I think BJ probably could have edged it out. Uh, young BJ takes that. Older BJ, I don't know. And, but it's a matchup that I think would have been a good match. I would have loved to see. Yeah, that's not bad. The thought did cross my mind, but I couldn't pick BJ to be the person that fights this guy. <laughs> I would have only called you out about it. I mean, <laughs> hey, sometimes you got to get called out. Okay. What do you think about his uh, his career path in particular – as we know, he was one of those guys, one of the first guys that basically, you know, left the UFC, you know, not because he just got cut or whatever else, but for whatever reason, they didn't make a deal, money, whatever. But, you know, actually went out on a little bit of a winning streak. Um, and actually, on top of that, going out and I think they purposely gave him two fights that were not supposed to be winnable fights for him thoughts so him leaving the UFC around his prime is one of the things that I like most about him he was one of the pioneers of taking his talents elsewhere which I'm a big fan of in the fight game and I really like that I agree 100% with what you said, and I hate it, is I think the problem is when he went to Bellator, he became the poster boy for Bellator to prove they're just as good as the UFC. So they were willing to do anything they could to prove that they could uh, give him some bad matchups, you know? I think to a point where at some point they're like, okay, well, maybe we should give him some better fo Now we broke our new toy. You know, like we, we need to get some value out of them. Right. <laughs> but yeah, I I think he definitely was a guy that once he signed, the UFC is rooting against him because they want to look super smart that they let him go. And Bellator wants to make him look bad because they want to prove that they're just as good as the UFC and their guys can't come out there. And uh, 
that's one of those things where it's like the the early bird gets the worm, but the second mouse gets the cheese. You know, he was one of the early pioneers of taking your talents elsewhere, but he was one of the first ones who were like, okay, well, here's our giant Walter White champ. Have fun with this ass whooping, you know? Yeah. I think that was his big mistake. I just don't think he should have went over there and dived into 170. I think part of it was their fault and part of it was his fault because he had just moved up in the UFC and had two big fights at 170, at which he won. And I guess he decided, well, if I can beat those guys in the UFC at 170, I can just go over to Bellator and get the title. Except Karishnov is a giant, right? Like, like, <laughs> like, okay, Bendo is, I think, 5'9 or whatever. Karishnov, they got him listed at six foot. I think he's closer to six one. But he's like a, he's a, like, he's not a small guy. Like, you can tell he cuts a nice amount to get down to that 170, right? That's just not a fight you jump over there and take. And I think all too often, people from the UFC, when they go somewhere else, they really downplay what it takes to be good in these other areas where instead of saying, I'm going to take exactly what I had and move it over here in the exact area that I was in, they're like, no, I can go up because I can beat those bigger guys. Uh, Not understanding, one, it's not that simple. Two, Nobody else has UFC drug testing. Nobody else has USADA. You don't know what these guys are on. You know what I mean? So I think so much of that is just not factored in. I commend his uh, courageousness, but I am mixed on that. I like the fact that he decided to leave and create his own path. But I think there was a little bit more left for him in the UFC um, with looking at some of the people that he fought and how long they stayed around and some of the wins that they were able to get off of that based on those, you know, I think he could have stuck around a little bit longer, but I'm not mad at the decision. So I don't disagree with what you're saying, but very few people, and there have been a couple but have been able to consistently succeed once they cross, you know, gain the ire of Dana White, you know? So I feel yep. like there would always been that kind of problem in the UFC if he'd have stayed. And ultimately the welterweight debacle, you know, Ben Henderson is built a little bit weird, not weird, but he's, he looks smaller than he is. Cause he's like bottom heavy. So, mm-hmm he has to cut a decent amount of weight to make lightweight and just doesn't look like it. It's similar to like Tyron Woodley is, is a guy that's kind of built like that. So there's, there's a few, but I think it's Brandon Thatch's fault. Cause Brandon Thatch was big as fuck at welterweight. And the second that Ben Henderson beat Brandon Thatch, he thought, dude, I could fight. If I could beat him, I can hang with any of these big welterweights yeah well actually let's let's get into that because that was the answer to my next question oh okay (laughs) what was your favorite ben henderson fight 
So I would say my favorite Ben Henderson fight would have probably been either the the second Cerrone fight or the Nate Diaz fight. You know, where he was busting out the, the leg punching and the ass punches and shit. Yeah, yeah. Very uh <laughs> very unorthodox box. And like but, but I've that never is... seen anybody do a cross punch to the thigh of somebody. Me neither, but that's kind of what got him through the Brandon Thatch fight is, you know, his ability to kind of hack at these legs. We know what's the old cliche, like, you know, work working the bodies like putting money in the bank. It's not fun now, yep. but it pays off in the long run. And uh he really learned a lesson because, look, who has a better gas tank than Nate Diaz? Very few people. And he was able to wear down. Now, I mean, not completely wear down, but wear down more than pretty much anybody I've ever seen Nate Diaz with that. So I would say those would be my two favorite because uh, I think for the most part, early, early Ben Henderson was probably my favorite Ben Henderson. Yeah, I will say... Something that we actually forgot about that we should have said up front, you know, Ben Henderson is widely credited as the first person to start the calf kick, right? And I thought about it because you were talking about the, you know, the leg punch or whatever. He's definitely the first person I've seen do it uh, because I remember seeing it and saying how weird it was and why was he kicking so low because especially – Back in those days, we were used to that Muay Thai chop across the thigh, right? We didn't have the, you know, we didn't have the, you know, the Jackson Camp oblique kick that, you know, right above the knee. You know, we didn't have the front. It's so many things that has evolved by somebody bringing it in and people seeing it being effective and then other people kind of you know, layering on top of it. Uh, but I, I really think that Ben Henderson should have went to a different camp. And I think he would have evolved a lot more had he went to a different camp. I actually think, and this is going to sound, I think most people wouldn't think that I would say this, but I think he's one of those guys that would have benefited from going to ATT because the same thing of how they kind of took Robbie Lawler and remolded him and I we kind of talked about this before I don't know that ATT is the best at homegrown guys but I think they can take certain guys that already have a certain high caliber of fighting and add little pieces that they that they're missing now if you're an elite elite level striker I don't think that you go to ATT because I think their game plan is more well-rounded with certain things. Uh, but to my answer to this, the Brandon Thatch fight was my my favorite fight. And the reason is because not only was he coming, he was coming off of a few losses at 155. Had lost his title, of course, was never able to gain his title back after he lost it. And I think he was being counted out, you know, as we talked about, he didn't resign, you know, whatever deal, whatever they were doing in the negotiations, which I don't remember at that time, but he did not resign. 
And then he decided to, well, let me back up. That last Donald Cerrone fight, in my opinion, was a robbery. I think he won that fight. I think they gave it to Donald Cerrone. And, yeah, I think that fight was a robbery. I think that was, I think other fights with him and Donald Cerrone were closer. (laughs) Even, even, wasn't one of them like a, a, a submission. Yeah, the second yeah. one he guillotined him. Yeah, but like, it's quick. like it's like this fight to me, I think he clearly won. But neither here nor there. He lost his title. He lost to Cerrone, you know, for their, you know, hundredth fight. And then he decides to go up to one seventy. And you see this big six three monstrosity. And you see them at the weigh-ins and everything. And you're like, why? Who even allowed this to happen? Mm-hmm. And he goes up there and wins. And that win motivated him so much. He even decided to go and fight Jorge Masvidal next and win that one. And then politely exit from the UFC. So the reason I blame Brandon Thatch and not Jorge Masvidal is, Mel- is Masvidal is also a lightweight that got sick of cutting the weight and went up to yeah, 170. So I feel like those two fighting at 170, that's what all lightweights should do. Like, I mean, that's what everybody knew she should do is just do a gentleman's agreement and just do it one weight class up and not cut the weight like they do in Japan. You know, one's got the right idea there. But so, yeah, the, the Jorge Masvidal fight, that's another big welterweight. Brandon, that or a big lightweight that's fighting at welterweight. Brandon Thatch was giant. He was fucking giant. Yeah. What's weird is I don't think that uh, I don't think Henderson was a big lightweight. I think he and I I'm probably can't explain this right. I think he just wears his weight different. Yeah, like I just think like sometimes like a guy can be heavy, but they're not big because when you actually see him in the cage, rehydrated and everything like that, other than fighting Frankie Edgar, he's never the bigger person in the cage ever. But everybody was bigger than Frankie Edgar. Frankie Edgar was a freak of nature at 155. Mm-hmm. You know, he really could have been fighting his whole career at 135. It's crazy that he won that title. That title. Yeah, and defended. Yeah. You know, multiple times and beat. Gray Maynard, who was a, a big, uh, you know, lightweight. Yeah. But that said, yeah, no, I agree with everything that you said. I, I definitely think it it put a battery in his back and was probably the catalyst for uh, him not having the success he thought he was going to have over in Bellator. So next question. Of course, I mentioned he retired. Who would you have wanted to see him fight in a farewell match? Uh, I think, look, he's out there right now. He's available. You do Nate Diaz in a farewell match. I mean, that's kind of cheating because Nate Diaz against anybody in a farewell match is a good match. So it's kind of cheating. It's it's a it's winnable fight, but you know. <laughs> well, look, they're about the same age. They're both out of their prime. You know, 
you look on you well you definitely couldn't do another Cerrone one because now Cerrone's on all that fucking junk. He's got new hair. What? He's big as fuck. But, but we could have done it. I mean, you know, we don't have to match up exact dates. You know how we do it. So Cerrone retired what two years ago? A year ago. Yeah, his last fight was in twenty twenty two. We could have did a farewell match with Cerrone. Now, yeah, of course, now he's, uh, you know, yeah. I won't even go into that. Now he's Cerrone. <laughs> hey, how about, uh, look, they both just put the gloves down. One more run, him and Jorge Masvidal. I didn't think of that one at all. I liked, I would have liked that fight. Yeah, I would have liked that I think that they one. both get up for that one again. Jorge Masvidal didn't seem up for that Gilbert Burns fight. You know, he, he looked a little different, showed up there. Like, I think... Uh, ben Henderson fight might be a fight that he could show up. It's something that would interest him, mm-hmm. but also is winnable, you know? Yeah, no, no, I like that. I don't, I don't disagree with that one at all. And yeah, for, I didn't give Masvidal a chance in that Burns fight. I think people still underestimate Burns for some reason, but he's really good. I, I, I just don't understand why people don't see that. And, I don't underestimate Burns, but I still mm-hmm. uh, bet a unit on uh, Jorge Masvidal anyways. <laughs> at plus 340. Look, I know it's kind of like throwing away money, but any guy that any guy I know that is that game, if you make them that big of an underdog, that's a value bet. Because there's always that, you know, there's that possibility that one, you uncork, yeah, that's that punch. Un- uncork that one shot and bam. Yep. No, I agree with you there. Yeah, I, I had a few different people. I didn't think of Masvidal. I thought about Cerrone possibly running it back. I thought about Pitbull. They had a couple fights. They're one and one. You know, I think there's a few different fights out there that could have been, you know, for him, but nothing really st- stuck out because I just don't think he had a big enough back and forth rivalry. The closest was Cerrone. I don't want to see any Anthony Pettis fights again. We know how that's going to turn out. Uh, Anthony Pettis ain't going to hold a title for shit. But what we know is he going to whoop Ben Henderson's ass. (laughs) He will win that fight. (laughs) He going to win that (laughs) fight. But other than that, nah, he's not gonna hold that title for shit. But, uh, but yeah. So, uh, of course, we have to go over to grappling. Now, you mentioned he was a wrestler, everything like that. You know, back in the day, he actually used to do a few grappling matches. I haven't seen any lately. But who would you love to see him in a grappling match against? No gi. Submission only, full rules grappling match. Uh, well, I'm thinking of two options here because so the first one I'm gonna go with is Gilbert Melendez. I like the they're both wrestlers that with legit black belts, you know, that's that's a different type of grappler, like they're weird. What people don't realize is guys like them, like Gilbert Melendez and Ben Henderson, they're weird to everybody. So if they go to a jiu-jitsu class, everybody thinks they grapple weird, you know? But they go in a wrestling room, everyone thinks they wrestle weird. And 
when I say weird, I don't mean that in a, in a bad way. I've, I've, I've done both with plenty of people that just have a weird style. It's just one of those things that it's tough to work with. You, you know, it can be very unorthodox. Yeah. And uh, those two against each other, I think, uh, could be interesting. Uh, and then the other one I was looking at was Frankie Edgar. So wondering if Frankie Edgar could push the pace. I would like to see his grappling equivalent of the way he sets a pace on their feet. That's a good one. I didn't think of either one of those. This is actually where my Gray Maynard came in at. Oh, I look at the size I think of we're Gray on the same tra- We're on the same track, though, of matchups. Yeah. I, and I was like, you know what? That would be a good grappling match. And I'm actually surprised that Gray Maynard is another guy that I'm surprised haven't jumped onto, you know, this grappling scene. I'm wondering if a lot of these guys just don't know, like, how big grappling has gotten. It's funny. Anthony Pettis, you know, just recently had a fight against, against Roy Jones Jr., and it was like a bunch of MMA fighters on that card, a boxing match. And in the group that we have, I had put it out there when the pay came out. Because, of course, a lot of these MMA fighters are trying to go over to boxing for this big payday. I just don't think people realize you got to be like a top guy or Jake Paul. Right. Have your own everybody else that comes with you. Yeah. Everybody else is just not making that crazy money. And I think the highest paid in that event was like 800 and some thousand. You know, that was like the highest paid. These guys could be making that kind of money, and a lot of these guys are making like two hundred thousand or whatever for that. I don't think that they understand they could be making that in grappler right now and saving their brain. And that's what's weird. Are some of these guys that are struggling financially and maybe working out of somebody else's gym really can be just you know? I've been saying this well before the podcast because. I follow grappling. I've been watching it grow year after year after year and literally watching guys making millions of dollars a year grappling like three, four matches a year. You know what I mean? It's, it's you know, some of them not even that many, uh, you know? And, and I'm just not sure that a lot of these MMA guys know about it. Hey, did you see Gordon Ryan wrestling with uh, Thor Bjornsson? I did not watch it. I saw that it came up, but I did not watch it. Thor is just a um uh what did uh uh, uh Joe Rogo was laughing about about uh uh shoot, what is his name? Why is it escaping me? The 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 Australian dude. Or is he from New Zealand? The uh the middleweight uh Robert Whitaker. Uh-huh. He was laughing about Robert Whitaker talking about Piera. And he was doing the accent, which I won't try. You know, I, I, I don't do accents because I will butcher it. But uh, Whitaker was like, yeah, have you been, like, have you seen him? Have you been next to him? Like, he's a big, big fella. <laughs> you know, like, he's a bit, Bjornsson, that's a big, big fella. He makes everybody look small. When him and Eddie Hall was having their beef, Eddie Hall is a giant, mm-hmm. giant. I think he's like 6'3", six, 6'4", three, six, 300 plus pounds. He looked small next to. He looked Moore. like Thor was picking on some kid or something. Exactly, it's a, it's a exactly. little fat guy. Exactly, and, and, and Thor, he's like a. 
he used to play professional basketball. You know, he's mm-hmm. been doing his boxing thing for a while. I mean, That's he's crazy. won the strongest man in the world thing a couple of times. And he does some weird, odd Viking lifts where he holds, like, some of these titles that are, like, you know, odd, like, back, like, deep, crazy Viking type shit. And uh, mm-hmm. Gordon Ryan works on that. I mean, which we know would happen. It is mm-hmm. funny that first Gordon Ryan does it and then... The obvious thing always comes next. So like, okay, well, let me start in the the up position, and then he still is able to do it. <laughs> but I will say this: is it's still one of those things where you you hear Gordon Ryan talks about, it and he's like, oh yeah, he's yeah, he's for sure the strongest guy in the world. And I can now say I've I've grappled with the strongest man in the world, and uh, where he was able to use his skill set to uh, you know get the best of the situation. He also kind of made it clear, like, yeah, that's. Uh, Look, that's the kind of strength that sometimes can make a difference, even if you don't know what you're doing. Not sometimes, most times. Almost everybody except for Gordon Ryan. Right. For sure. <laughs> <You know? laughs> most of Gordon Ryan's other black belts, even. You know, guys that really know their stuff. Because we're not talking about a power lifter or a strong guy. We're talking about the strongest guy. Yeah, absolutely. And And... You know, when you talk about Gordon Ryan, one, he's not a small guy himself. He's a heavyweight, and he's regarded by most as the GOAT. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about, in most of the, before, a lot of your uh, grapplers that were in that category of, like, this might be the GOAT, were all smaller guys. None was as big as Gordon Ryan that's able to do what he's able to do. So you take, to your point, you take one of Gordon Ryan's black belts and you, you know, make him a middleweight or something like that. And he can have all of Gordon Ryan's skill plus more. He's probably going to get smashed by Bjorn. And as we know, if it's an actual fight, that's a whole nother level. You don't want to get punched by that guy. You know, so... It's it's definitely one of those things where when you have that big of a size difference, and that's one of those areas where people don't understand, yes, martial arts, especially BJJ, helps the smaller man beat the bigger man. But that's usually also based upon the smaller man being more skilled. But at some point in time, the size difference is so huge, your skill level cannot overcome that size difference. And that's when, you know, a big guy like that, you know, you, you hit them once and run uh, because they usually can't run that fast or for that long. <laughs> I think uh, like if you follow Dalton Rowe and, you know, he's a bit of a tool or whatever, but you know, follow him on uh TikTok, and like, that's kind of his whole thing. He's like a extremely strong and athletic was a D one football player. He pay, played mm-hmm. D line, but he was way over. He had to play way overweight you know, to keep his weight up and he's regular around like 230, 240, but he's like strong as shit. And that's his whole thing is he's trying to learn how to fight, but he also shows that like, well, yeah, like in some of these sports, but just on the street, like, yeah, this guy's really good. I could just get up and mm-hmm. throw him over there. Like he can't armbar his way out of that. Like, yeah, it's, uh, you know, there's, there's a balance there that people have to understand particularly once again, 
if you have two guys that are skilled, they don't have to be at the same skill level. If you have a guy that's just completely unskilled, that's a bit of a different story, but there still is situations where enough size can overcome that. Yeah. Or strength. Uh, especially strength is a big on, Yeah. If you're a strong guy, absolutely. it can make a big difference if you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Or depend on the you know the, the the actual situation. How big is the area you're fighting in? There like there's a lot of factors, but you know that's why you you want to know some some type of grappling, you want to know some type of striking, and you want to be skilled in the arts of weapons, and you want to have enough cardio to run. Those are the four things needed to survive. Don't just pick one. You need all four. <laughs> and, and personally. I would still throw all that on top of wrestling. Like, I, don't even, I don't even consider wrestling one type of grappling. Learn wrestling and then go do another grappling thing and then all the other things that you said too. I like it. Wrestle I first. Like it. And that is why I, I don't think I've ever said this, but for the first time I feel like uh, I feel like I'm kind of proud of you for that pick, the Gray Maynard pick. I didn't, I didn't see that coming, you know, and uh, – I, think I try to do one. what I can. It's a good one. I try to do what I can. <laughs> well, yeah. Other than that, those were the questions that I had. Other than that, it really just, the thing about it is, I think Ben has one of those deceptive careers. And I think it's because he wasn't dominant enough. And to your point with some of the split decisions and stuff, he wasn't dominant enough for you to really put him in a, GOAT type category, but he won, you know, major titles, beat a lot of big names, uh, you know, continued to fight. His career was, let's see, he started fighting in 2006. So he had like a, you know, he had a 16 year uh, career somewhere about, right? So, you know, it's, he had a nice long career, fought a lot of big names, big promotions, and, you know, was able to hang in there and win some titles. And even, you know, with fighting some of those, uh, you know, real big guys show in a lot of cases that he can hold his own. But as we talked about, it also led to some fights where you had a lot of decisions. Uh, ultimately, uh, he was one of my all-time favorite fighters. I started watching less as he went to Bellator. As I mentioned before, actually, hold on. I looked at the wrong stats. I'm sorry. He did start in 2006, and he ended a year off. But I I didn't watch as much once he went over to Bellator. I tried to watch some of his fights. I watched the Pitbull fights, but I've mentioned it before. Bellator is a package. Something about it just doesn't allow me to want to watch it all the time, man. I wish I knew what it was, but I, I just don't know. Something as a package, I just don't like. But uh, he was never a guy to shy away from any fights, you know, even despite what we talked about with the decisions. As I mentioned before, he has Fighter of the Year awards. He has Fighter of the Year awards. You know, he has Performance of the Night awards. So there's a lot that he was able to do in that time in his career. and. I don't know that it's enough to get him into a Hall of Fame or anything like that. I mean, he is tied for most lightweight title defenses. I think if you let a Frankie 
in or something like that, you have to have that conversation. But uh, definitely a solid fighter. As I mentioned, was one of my favorite fighters. I didn't watch him as as much as time went on, but especially, you know, early, early Bendo was, you know, he brought something different to the table. Like one of the fights that I actually didn't even mention also, a WEC fight was uh, Anthony Njikawani. And that fight, I didn't mention him when I mentioned the fighters, but uh, that was a very interesting one in which, you know, he was uh, crawling all over Njikawani like a, I don't know, like a, a rapper. So like he was just on him. He wouldn't get off him. And, and Njikawani's another big guy. He He's a slim guy, but I think he's like 6'2 or something like that. But uh, just showed he would go out there and fight, you know, anybody. And so that's one of the reasons why we wanted to do this uh, Gloves and Roses. Anything for, uh, Anything else from you, Locke? No, I'm glad we did this one, and and I guess I want to make sure I clarify because when I said at the beginning, like you know, sometimes I go back and watch people, and you know, there's like a, all of a sudden I, there's a level of appreciation that goes up. And I guess when I said, uh, you know, the uh, I, I'm a fan of Ben Henderson, and he had an impressive career. I'm just saying that in hindsight, I think being such a big fan, when I watched a lot of his fights, his actual dominance seemed a little bit more higher level when rewatching some of these fights now I think like he was just a uh he was a skilled guy that got the most out of what he had and uh you know like you mentioned I didn't realize pulled it turned into a 16 year career and uh mm-hmm. yeah it's uh if nothing else he at least got covered cuz I like what I said earlier I know he's a big listener and at least he got to at least get covered exactly on on the Fat Boy of a May podcast. I mean, that's better than the Hall of Fame right, right. there. Fuck yeah. <laughs> you know what? Just because we're talking about it, Ben Henderson, first ballot, uh, Fat Boy of a May Hall of Fame. Done. <laughs> it's in the books. First ballot, man. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, that wraps up another Fat Boy MMA podcast. As usual, thank you for listening and come again. That wraps up another great Fat Boy MMA podcast. If you have a topic for us, please email us at topic at fatboymma.com or reach out to us on social media by going to links.fatboymma.com. Thank you for listening.